the podcast with everything paranormal. It's the 222 Paranormal Podcast. And with us today, we have Amy, Jack, and Anne, and they are with Project Zoo Book. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey. Hello. Hey. Nice Thanks for to having be us. Great. So, guys, we're at this beautiful convention today. I just wanted to say welcome. Great to see you guys. Tell us a little bit about what, or tell us everything, we what Project everything. Zoo Book is. Yes. yes. Where were you born? Yeah, <laughs> what's your shoe oh, yeah. size? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I'll start real quickly. This is Amy, and I uh, met these wonderful scientists here by chance through the miracles of Facebook. <laughs> and these are not their real names. And the reason that is, is because we work with a lot of scientists who are, for lack of a better term, in the Bigfoot closet where either their universities they work for or their zoos or whatever it is um, might not take too kindly to their interest. <laughs> and what we're trying to do is bring researchers and scientists together. We're kind of a think tank where we do Zoom calls and we're also doing a lot of other cool things starting. Um, Jack here is working on a website to come out so if we can have some interaction with people out in the Bigfoot community and beyond. And what we always say is that just like the Olympic Project and Dr. Bindernagel and so many other people were trying to make the subject of Bigfoot less taboo mm -hmm. in scientific circles. So we know there's a lot of um, different ideas or opinions about what Bigfoot is, but we come at the topic um, looking at it as a possible primate okay. and we're not saying we're right but we're not saying we're wrong <laughs> yeah. and that's what we do so we um, are starting to do some micro studies of different areas all over the United States um, some scholarly articles and I feel all fancy saying that <laughs> and, um, just just getting the scientific community involved and now I'm gonna let these two talk maybe you can talk a little bit more about the beginnings of it or what you do so I'm Jack, and I help put the zoo in Project Zoo Book. Um, I've been a zookeeper for the last 15 years, um, but I've had a fascination with primates since I was a very little kid, and it's been a lifelong dream to, to be able to work with them and a lot of other animals that I've been able to work with in my career. Bigfoot's just kind of become a natural thing to tie in together, and that's where we're kind of helping bridge the gap with stuff that we know and what we've experienced with working with certain primates, especially the great apes and stuff, being able to put our experiences and our firsthand knowledge and research into potential links with um, what other researchers are finding or what other experts in the field are finding, um, just to offer whatever we can offer into that and try to tie everything together. How many species of great apes are there? So there's uh, gorillas, orangutans, bonobos, chimpanzees, mm -hmm. and then humans are all okay. tied in together for the great apes. Joe's a big old ape right here. <laughs> I read that. No, just, um, you know, why, why wouldn't there be the possibility of something else? I mean, wasn't it just probably in the last 150 years that they discovered a new species of orangutan? Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I think that was something even more recent than that. Mm -hmm. And at a time, and I use this example a lot too, that gorillas were considered mythological creatures mm -hmm. for a long time. Yeah. And that's like the basis for a lot of my thinking. As a scientist, I, I don't think you can always just assume nothing else exists, that you've found every single thing. Mm -hmm. Because scientists are finding new things all the time. So mm -hmm. it's almost, if you call yourself a scientist, you can't be done with what you've 
what you've accomplished in your career, you have to know that there's more yeah. mm-hmm. beyond that. And it's, it's always evolving. There's always um, new people going out into the field and finding stuff that maybe they're not looking for. Yeah. So that's what we're hoping to use our knowledge with that. What's the average lifespan of a great ape, like say for the gorilla? So ours is more, our knowledge is more based on the captive population mm-hmm. and stuff. And they obviously live longer in zoos Mm -hmm. um, but in the wild if you take for gorillas um, there's a lot of factors that run into what could cause longevity to be a lot shorter than what Mm -hmm. you would expect or factors that would help them live a lot longer but typically into the 30s 40s is an average lifespan there's been some that have pushed those boundaries and then it's usually like um, 60s is becoming a lot more common in zoos Mm -hmm. because i was trying to you know think about in terms of a bigfoot or sasquatch uh, what would the average lifespan be because i have a feeling that these things live much longer than that i i'm not sure i'm I'm not out in the field or anything but it just seems like um the areas that they have been seen in they've been seen in in a long time and they're usually described the same way so i'm thinking you know are they living into their 60s 70s 80 years lifespan i know and i can't remember it of course but i know there have been tracks found prints found that seem to be from the same creature yeah. just because they have strange artifacts to the yeah. to the track that have been many 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 years apart and i can't remember the how many of the many is yeah, yeah. but um it it shows that they have a, a if these are real that they have a pretty sizable lifespan mm-hmm. yeah you know and there's being scientists and there's so much evidence coming in from the fields and a lot of people are like, well, have you ever seen Bigfoot? Is there ever any evidence? And the more you dig into it, the more evidence there really is. Now, we're not saying everybody sees one, mm-hmm. but there's little snippets of, time, of evidence that can be put together to say, this is something we don't know. You know it's not something that we see every day. Or, and being a scientist, too, I know, I know that you have to like, try to repeat everything. Mm-hmm. But with all the evidence coming in, it's it's just overwhelming, right? You know. I think you should ask Anne how she got. Yes, Anne. <laughs> interesting. Yes, Anne. Because it kind of speaks to that. So I was always interested in Bigfoot, but not really seriously until I started working with primates. Um, I was a zookeeper working with primates for about seven years, and I actually kind of got involved with Jack a little bit in the Bigfoot world um, after I visited the museum down in Georgia, um, near Blue Ridge, Georgia. What is it? Expedition Bigfoot, I think? Yeah. So I started going there, and I was there a few times, and the first time I went, you know, it was interesting, but I didn't really take it too seriously. And then I started kind of talking to Jack about it a little bit, and we started listening to podcasts and listening to people's encounters and things like that, and it was like, the more that we heard people's stories and their their experiences, the more we saw like a lot of similarities between the primates that we were working with mm-hmm. and um, like their that what the, they would see when they would have these encounters. Um, so a lot of the behaviors were very similar, and it just caught our attention for sure. Yeah. So yeah, we just kind of got involved that way, and then I happened to 
see there was like an expedition going on and I was trying to figure out more information on it and I saw it on Facebook and that's how I kind of connected with Amy because she was helping me out and she was like, oh, you know, you don't have to go on like a fancy expedition to go like look for Bigfoot. I can just take you out in the woods. So we just sort of got connected that way and it started this whole thing. So That's cool. Now, have you guys been to Salt Fork Lake in Ohio? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Have you had any experiences there? I was just there. Um, Personally, I haven't had any smoking gun experiences or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You were there Mm -hmm. one time and, you know, you can, I've heard some things, um, but I always take things with a grain of salt because there's a lot of other people looking for Bigfoot at the same time and maybe you're like yelling back and forth to each other. (laughs) But I know that there have been some tracks that have been very interesting that have been cast from that area and it has a rich history of sightings so you know anywhere you're getting witnesses that are saying they're that they're seeing something we're interested in talking to yeah, them yeah there's some new video um drone video out which is very clear so you know you, you have to analyze it for yourself mm-hmm. but it, it's it's pretty convincing if it is real it's we want very it to be real it's very well, yeah. dark fur <laughs> And I think it was taken in October when the trees are kind of browning up. So, you know, good contrast, um, being able to spot it. It's not blending in. It's very, the fur is very dark. But I was going to ask you, so with with the apes or the, the great, you know, primates, do they typically have like a summer or winter fur that they would shed? Or are they the same color year round in the wild? It's pretty much the same year round. Yeah. Okay. But these guys, they also live closer to the equator where there's not like seasons like we experience. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It would make sense, you know, for something like that mm-hmm. here. You would think that they would get like a thicker coat for the winter or something mm-hmm. like that. But they also have like more hair than fur. So oh, okay. it's be a little bit okay. different that yeah. way too. It's I just a lot wonder. thicker and stuff yeah. than mm-hmm. ours is. There's been so many descriptions of Sasquatches and Bigfoots, and the the range of colors that people are seeing is so different, you know, like in different climates, of course. There's the pure white ones, light brown, the reddish brown, the black. So I just wondered if that was something that they would have that seasonal color change. Well, it's interesting, too, because you think about something like the red fox, like we have here, and there's so many different color variations of mm-hmm. even that. So maybe it has something to do with, like, the difference in the climates and mm-hmm. things that you see more color variation mm-hmm. with yeah. the seasons. But that always, I thought, was kind of interesting as well. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you have an opinion on, like, where they're nesting or living in the wild because we've heard everything for they go into caves they are up in trees they're under the actual earth have you guys have opinion on like what you really think like are they just creating for nests on the ground just to set this up for them this is amy again (laughs) um these two were able to go out to visit the nest site for the Olympic project out on the Olympic um, Peninsula in Washington State. And they were invited out there to kind of check it out. So um, what do you think, Jack and Ann? (laughs) So personally, I would think that they would be, you know, thinking along the lines that they are a species of great ape. I would tend to think that they're going to be doing something like a ground nest, like a gorilla, um, Mm -hmm. where they're building these nests, um, potentially moving up to, you know, a couple times a day, just kind of following the food sources. Mm -hmm. 
Do you have any? No, I, I totally agree with yeah. that. If, if that's the route that, that it's heading in. Yeah. Um, just being able to experience those nests and stuff and that, not a, confirm that those were mm-hmm. Bigfoot nests or anything mm-hmm. like that, but right. just to see the potential that these intelligent creatures are weaving together nests nesting material from their surrounding area and stuff which is very similar to what gorillas do in the mm-hmm. wild and chimpanzees do yeah. in the wild and orangutans do in the wild so it's just very similar seeing you know just the the connection between those nests and what we've experienced mm-hmm. through our line of work and okay. stuff as well yeah i just um just wonder because you know everybody has something else they've experienced and um also talking about like the smell that people smell associated with it is that common with the, the primates that they stinky stink yes they, they smell like teenage boys who don't shower especially the gorillas and it's funny too because each of them smell a little bit different too so after you've worked with them for a little while mm-hmm. like I could have my eyes closed and probably tell you which one of our three boys is standing behind me just based oh, on the okay. smell alone yeah I just wondered if they use a scent it is. It's interesting, trail. too, because it's like the smell is most noticeable during times of stress for them. So that's oh. when they're really mm-hmm. like sweating and getting very, very stinky is when they're stressed out or something strange is happening, like the vets are out there or something mm-hmm. like that. That's when you really get the most. And you wonder, too, if, if the Sasquatch and Bigfoots, um, you know, emit that because we are encroaching on their land. And then all of a sudden they're like any animal is going yeah. to be like, you know, in that that um, ang- anxious yeah. state so interesting to to look into that like what is that scent what about that i was just gonna yeah. wait what were you gonna say about the gland event. yeah so there was a recent um article that came out where they've studied the gorillas and you know the scent being given off and it can either be used as like a warning sign to either a potential enemy that's coming closer mm-hmm. they smell that and they know to back off or ideally they should back off unless they're ready for some kind of an encounter or it could also warn the rest of the group that we need to move or there's something around here mm-hmm. um, so if humans are coming into contact with bigfoot and they're smelling this mm-hmm. it could be because they're warning the rest mm-hmm. of their group mates that yeah. there's humans around you need to back off and i can handle this yeah. or you know something similar like would, that would they also use the, their language or their grunts or their I don't know what you would call it um, their vocalization vocalization mm-hmm. in the similar fashion right yep okay yeah and there's even um, cases of chimpanzees drumming on different tree mm-hmm. trunks to uh, signify which direction to go oh, or which really? way to okay. meet up with the rest of their group if they get split up they can hit it a certain way oh, wow. and notify for the other ones to kind of gather back up or I'm heading in this direction and you guys can come follow me yeah. that's interesting because you know when you're out squatching um, with the wood knocks and the whoops and the chattering of mm-hmm. the teeth and um, you know all of the different vocalizations it'd be interesting to see what does that mean? What does the teeth chatter mean? Is that a happy noise? You know, right? Like the knocking. I never thought about the direction thing. That's, yeah. that's yeah, really that's interesting. What got us interested in it? Like, yeah. for example, you hear a lot that like when people encounter a Bigfoot, they'll like show their teeth. Mm-hmm. And primates will actually do that. That's called like a fear grimace. So that's oh. like them saying like I'm uncomfortable, or it's supposed to be like taken yeah. as like a warning. So mm-hmm. it was just interesting because people would be like, yeah, and they. You know, like they showed their teeth, and I didn't know what that meant. And and I are like, we know what that means. Yeah. Like that makes so much sense. Of you course mean Jack? It did. You mean Jack? We'll oh. bleep that out. <laughs> 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 oh, oh. Oh, oh. I'm mad. I like it. 
we'll believe you it. You know, I, I always hear people going out there and doing wood knocks. Yeah. yeah. And to me, I'm thinking, I don't know if you want to do wood knocks because to me, that would almost seem like a threat. Get away from me. Yeah. yeah. Get away from me. You or, know? or a war I, I was lucky enough to go to Africa for two weeks oh, wow. years ago. And to think, like, if you were going to uh, go on a trek with to find chimpanzees or gorillas in the wild, you're not going to make a ton of noise to get them to come to you. Yeah. You have to be super quiet to go to them. So if you're respectful in that manner, then hopefully you'll get that kind of interaction or experience mm-hmm. that you're looking for. So I can't imagine like making a huge, yeah, a little bit here and there just to see if you get some kind yeah. of response, but not like a continuous To me, thing. it would almost seem like you're sitting there doing wood knocks, warning them to get away from you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or you, you know? don't know what you're saying. You right. Know. Who knows what you're saying? You're like, and lunch is served. <laughs> and there's so many times where people are like, well, we heard a lot of stuff in the woods, but we never saw it. And why why can't we ever see them? And I always say, they'll know you're there right. a long time before you know yeah. they're there. Yeah. Jack, you want to tell about the Cross River Gorilla? Yeah, so... Example that I bring up all the time when we're having discussions through Project Zoo Book, it's like my one of my go-to things is, if you look at the gorilla species, there's four different subspecies of them. There's uh, mountain gorillas that were made famous by Diane Fossey. Um, there's western lowland gorillas, which are the only ones you find in zoos in the world. Um, there's Grower's gorillas, which are um, a lesser-known population, but they're kind of an offshoot of the mountain gorillas. And then there's Cross River gorillas. Mm-hmm. And the Cross River gorillas are the most endangered of the gorilla species. There's only about 300 of them total oh in the wild. So to think of, there's a very small section of um, Africa near the Cross River where these guys are located. Um, mm-hmm. The problem is that it's such a hard area to get to that researchers don't get to experience them very much. So what they're doing is studying their nest sites. They're studying Mm -hmm. uh, fecals that are left behind. They're studying potential food sources that were manipulated or whatever. So there's a researcher that had spent about 10 years um, going to that specific location, looking for the Cross River gorillas, and in his total 10 years, he had only seen them a total of eight seconds. In his entire time going there. So for everybody to understand that yes this is a subspecies of gorillas that exist i don't have a whole lot of photographic evidence i don't have a whole lot of um specific pictures that i can show you or video that i can show you but everyone believes them mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and they through more recently they were able to get um trail camera pictures of an entire group which was wow. a huge breakthrough yeah. um what but yeah I that's just that they were accepted mm-hmm. right mm. so one of my favorite things about like the footage that they got though I think you can actually look it up on YouTube but when they like got the gorillas the group passing on the trail cam every single one of them just about looks back and stares directly at the trail cam oh, like yeah. they know it's there oh, yeah. which yeah. I always think is so interesting <laughs> yeah for sure yeah yeah, yep. yeah definitely yeah they're like what is this tra- strange thing in the tree? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then they start posing. <laughs> <laughs> they're, such a, they're such curious animals, mm-hmm. too. Like, if you put anything new into their environment, it's a toy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see that in many of the uh, enrichment things yep. that you, yep. you know you guys do with that, yep. which I think is amazing. And one of the uh, enrichments that, that they do at the zoo is listen to podcasts. Did you already say that? No. I can't remember. <laughs> so you might, you're the uh, chips and everybody might be listening to this. There you go. And we just like, grew our audience to three <laughs> listeners. Three listeners, yes. 
and we have to feed them in treats or whatever. Right. What, what actually, how do you stimulate? Like, I know they got to get bored. How do you keep the captive ones stimulated? I mean, that's a major part of our job besides just feeding them and checking mm -hmm. on them and stuff. We're always trying to think of what their natural behaviors are and how we can try to elicit those responses that would be typical for them in the wild. So we'll do multiple feedings throughout the day so it's not... Uh, years and years and years ago, they would get one big pile of food in the morning and one big yeah. pile of food at night. So scattering it would encourage them to not only be more active, but then they're also foraging their, mm -hmm. you're not trying to force them to compete, but they also have to work to try to get to yeah. their food and stuff. Um, there's different audio things that we do for them, um, different olfactory things that we can do for them. And we just try to give them a variety of multiple things on different days. It's not the same thing every day. We have an entire mm -hmm. calendar that breaks down different options and what we can do for a given day and stuff. So we're always trying to outthink ourselves so we don't get complacent because it's you know almost mm -hmm. disrespectful for them yeah. that we're not yeah. trying to help them out and keep them as active mentally and physically as possible. Because it's almost like you don't want to humanize them. Right. And if they get into a return, they're, okay, my food's coming in a little bit. Or right. They get into that They're going to throw a ball at me or yeah. something, you know? It's like, <laughs> play the ball game again, right. you know? Or, yeah. But it's just, it's always interested me because I was at Toledo Zoo one day, mm -hmm. and I'm sitting on the ledge, and they got the glass, and the um, gorilla, I don't know what kind, you know, but this gorilla is sitting there, and this little, you know, obviously a child, is bouncing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and... The adult basically told him sit down <laughs> and we're both i'm sitting here and the gorilla's sitting here and he looks at me and i swear he looked at me and shook his head like kids, kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know? so interesting are, do, i'm just going to ask this because i don't know don't get mad but are they carnivorous do they eat meat no oh, okay. uh, well chimpanzees if you're looking at the overall grade a population mm -hmm. a chimp's total diet is about two percent meat and oh, it's okay. it's not something that they actively go after it's more mm -hmm. opportunistic um, if they see like a smaller primate a monkey they might go after it okay. um, it's more of like a, almost enriching for them to where mm -hmm. they'll gang up together and go after the monkey and then they'll all share in it but it's not mm -hmm. something that they actively seek out to do but there's not been any evidence that I'm aware of of gorillas or orangutans or um, bonobos specifically going after a meat source. It's usually I almost said vegetables, but it's more mm -hmm. of like what natural fruits are growing yeah. or different roots, shoots, and like, do they, stuff that they can find. Like bugs and ants and those yeah, type more of so in the wild. Okay, because I was just trying to think of like what is the Sasquatch or the Bigfoot diet, right? What's out there in those environments? You know, I wasn't sure. Are they chasing deers or rabbits or, you know, are they just strictly plant eaters? I don't One know. thing I always thought was really interesting, I um, spent a good amount of time working with our Japanese macaques that we had. And so they're the, like, they have the farthest north range of any known primate species. Mm -hmm. So they're living in areas that can get up to 13 feet of snow sometimes. And this is a primate. So I always thought it was really interesting looking at the things that they would eat mm -hmm. because that's going to be more similar to something that you would find here. So they'll even eat, like, the bark off of trees and things mm -hmm. like that. And great apes do that too. But right. I always just thought it was interesting that they could survive on things like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because like, you know, I've heard of people like taking apples out on their squatching expeditions as like an offering or to kind of just, you know, re see if they'll come, they'll smell it and come forward. Mm -hmm. Being in, 
you know, like any type of fruit, I think uh, that sweetness that might or might not attract them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I wasn't even, sure what their diet was. I've even heard of a lady that said that she used to put bunt cakes out for her, her Sasquatch. <laughs> That might have been me basis. grabbing those. Really? <laughs> You're going to give Bigfoot high though, cholesterol. She said that every night she put a bun cake out and in the morning it would be gone. Yeah. So Bigfoot took it. Like, okay. <laughs> I mean, the primates that we worked with love their treats. So yeah. that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> like, what, like what, yeah. You know, I have rabbit who love bananas. Go figure, right? <laughs> but, no, it's interesting. No. Tell me just a little bit more about Project Zoo Book. What exactly that is, and what you guys are doing, and is it an actual book? Is it a website? Is it? Well, we're working on the website. Okay. Um, it's it's pretty much been underground, for lack of a better term. Um, my goal mm-hmm. is for Project Zoo Book to be a place where scientists feel comfortable, okay. and where we're not going to spill their beans, and we're not going to, you know. Um, ostracizer yes yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. you know like that they can come in and they can talk about their questions and what they have to offer and we have all different kinds of scientists mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. Um, we have you know some are kind of our core group and some come and go as guests but um, we have anthropologists we have primatologists zoologists wildlife biologists marine biologists mm-hmm. and so we even had one discussion about like lake monsters and stuff like that so maybe we'll spread out to other cryptids but um everybody has and and other ologists but everybody has the common interest in is bigfoot a real creature could bigfoot be a real creature and most of our scientists are not convinced and we welcome skeptics yeah um but they all have something to offer Mm -hmm. so like on our last call you know, somebody, one person will have a question and then, okay, the anthropologist is going to answer that one. And then somebody else will have a topic they want to talk about and the primate specialist will talk about that. So it's just, um, like I said, we talk, we call ourselves a think tank, but we are, it, it kind of grew organically. It was just the three of us really at first. And we're like, Ooh, like maybe we're a group and oh, maybe we should have a logo. And you know, it just grew. And now I would say that we've never really had a scientist that has come on one of our calls that has not wanted to come back at some time. It's fascinating. And what we hear over and over again like verbatim is they'll all say I had no idea that this was all going on we yeah. had no idea that that there were scientific methods being used to try to collect evidence and all of these witnesses and you know I I go a lot to um like fishing and hunting shows to get reports um with Tina you know my uh, BFF and research partner but even even there, you know, it might not be scientists, but you have the uh, the hunters and mm-hmm. people that are out in the woods a lot. They will come and tell us their stories, and then we'll relay those stories to the scientists. And and we just we really want that. We want the researchers to to come alongside the scientists because one thing you get a lot of is researchers saying, "Oh, science." doesn't believe us science you know mm-hmm. they're never going to accept this and I don't think that's true I think a lot of scientists if they're true scientists are open mm-hmm. to discussion at the very least and mm-hmm. kind of to get their minds changed at the best so and their their whole reason for becoming scientists is to dig into things that yes. we don't know about right. exactly it starts out with like curiosity and anybody who is genuinely interested in science 
should be open to the idea of new things that we yeah. don't know. Like I think people are so cocky to think that we know everything there is to know about what lives on this planet. You know, we're discovering new species every day. So right. you can't you can't say that. Yeah. <laughs> I have one word, coelacanth. Right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, no such thing. Yeah. And right. another thing that we do is like I, I'm the person, I'm kind of the coordinator person. I'm not one of the smart people. She's very <laughs> smart. Yeah, but, I, well. I know your history, you're smart. <laughs> but I, I try to get new people involved, and I always will approach a scientist with this. I'll say, even if we never find any new evidence of Bigfoot, you have this group of people, the researchers, that are out in the forests of North America like use our power, you know, mm -hmm. maybe we can find a new tree or a new flower or something. Yeah. And so there's, it's, it's never bad to be out in the woods and you never know what you're going to find. So you might lure them in with something like that, yeah. <laughs> but then they stay for Bigfoot. Right. Now, talking about evidence, you know, everybody does the foot casts mm -hmm. and I see it all the time on, on the web, you know, people posting different stuff and that, but how do some of the foot casts that you see compare to what you actually see on a primate? I mean, a lot of them are very, very similar, but it's hard to say without looking, you know, like we aren't sitting there specifically measuring things or yeah. like we were just talking to Cliff and he was talking about all the different ways that they analyze like the footprints and casts that they get. And it's, you know, we only see like surface deep, like, yeah, does it look like a primate footprint? Yeah, that one looks like a primate mm -hmm. footprint, but you know, we're not foot specialists by yeah. any means. Yeah. We're no Dr. Meldrum, so. <laughs> oh, yes. We've had him on our show. He's amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. Name drop. He's been on several Zoo Book calls, too. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. He is so Yeah, cool. he's so he's, knowledgeable. He's one of the smartest men I've ever yeah. listened yeah. to. Yes, yes. <laughs> For sure. Because, you know, we've heard about the metal tarsal break. Yep. yep. And a lot of people say, well, they fake so many footprints and all that. And I'd say, well, you've got to look at the different things. You don't just look... Sure, I could carve up a foot and go plop, 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 mm -hmm. but that's not what we're looking at when we're looking at evidence. Right. You know, we're looking at the depth, the, the way it moves and that. And Dr. Meldrum has one that I've always been interested in is it's a fist print and it has a thumb that comes out. Yes. And it, it was so interesting. I'm sitting there looking at this. And I'm like, what is that? We were just talking about it. Really? Oh. <laughs> and he explained it to me and I'm like, I never thought that. You know, yeah. you, you always yeah. think about the footprints. You never think about it. And right. I'm like, he says, this is so cool because the thumb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because a human's thumb ain't like that. Yeah, the yep. orientation isn't right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. So what's on anything in the near future that you guys are going yeah. out in the woods? Or are you going? I'd love to. Yeah. And we don't have anything specific. We have, um, Amy usually schedules a zoo book call every couple weeks, different guests and stuff. Um, we'd ideally like to get out into the woods and, um, have like our own little areas where we're kind of investigating and doing some stuff and then just kind of building our contacts and stuff from there and helping not necessarily grow Project Zoobook by a number but having like really great collaborative efforts between a lot of great people and stuff to help make that connection that we're kind of looking for. And Anne, you don't know this but we might have found a researcher here today at oh. the Michigan Bigfoot Conference that Tell is, me about yeah, that. <laughs> that you guys might get to hook up with. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah, That's good. like I have my research area in the Allegheny National Forest in Pennsylvania. We have people, you know, out in Washington and all this stuff. So that's what we're in the process of doing is is having these micro studies 
you know, I go out there and I, I keep a record of the flora and fauna in my area. I take witness reports and I'm, I'm the unluckiest Bigfooter in the world because I never find any, yeah. <laughs> but I'm trying. And, yeah. um, you know, so I have a couple of the scientists that have come on Zoobook recently who are in my area. Mm. You know, mostly it's, they've been all far, mm. far away, but mm-hmm. I'm going to nab them to maybe get out in the woods with me. Yeah. So those are some things we're starting to do. And can I say if there are any scientists mm. listening, you yeah. can get a hold of me through BigfootAmy at gmail.com. So that's easy to remember, A-M-Y. Yeah. And we'd love to talk to you. Yeah. That's one of the reasons we do what we do. Mm-hmm. What was your, before we let you go, I want to know if you've got a phone call from someone that was the weirdest thing you've ever heard. (laughs) Uh, Like on one of the, on one of our calls? Yeah. That you can admit to. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There's been a few um, guests that we've had on the, on the calls and stuff where we have to like send separate texts to each other, like. Is this really happening, or are they really talking about this? And maybe we can invite them to the next call. And uh, we're usually a pretty welcoming group, but yeah. there's just a few times where we've kind of tilted our heads and wondered what was going on at that mm-hmm. moment. I don't know if there's anything specific, but I think because we're a scientifically minded group, anything that's you know sort of paranormal or anything like that, not that we necessarily are like that's not real. We just don't know anything about yeah. that really because yeah. it's not our area of focus. So mm-hmm. that's what I say because I have a lot of friends who are paranormal investigators, mm-hmm. and I'll say it's kind of like we're all cooks or all chefs, but yeah. I'm like cooking Indian food, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. and yeah. they're doing something else. So it's our like well, exactly what yeah. Ann said. It's our interest. And to tie that in with the paranormal, I've heard so many stories of people that have seen Bigfoot and then all of a sudden notice poltergeist activity or UFO activity Mm -hmm. or that. And I was talking to someone one time and they're like, I see poltergeist activity. I said, said, did you see Bigfoot? They're like, well, we see footprints. And I said, that's poltergeist activity there because you don't actually see the beast. You see what is causing it. I see what you're saying. (laughs) You know, fun stuff. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. You know, I hear of Bigfoots being reported in most continents, but I never hear anything about Bigfoot sightings in Africa. You guys ha- ever hear any stories? Because the great apes are yeah. mostly tied to Africa. I feel yeah. like anything but, might just be attributed to like it was a gorilla or something. Yeah. Like that. that would be the only thing that I could think. But like Asia, you know, and, and even Australia has the Owie, but just don't really there hear. There were some reports, I can't remember much. specifically, it was... They thought it was a larger chimpanzee, Okay. but it wasn't anything that anybody could get to, but yeah. there were reports from natives and stuff that would say that they had come across yeah. chimpanzees that were twice the size of what they were normally wow. used to. Oh, have you ever thought about taking one of your primates out in the woods and yeah, going, well, hey, just put him on a leash. I guess if I didn't, if I didn't want a job ever again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, we just uh, took him out for the weekend. Just put uh, a trench coat and a hat on him and walk him out. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we really appreciate it and good luck with everything. Thank and you. thanks for being on the show. All right, and thanks everyone for listening this week. We're going to leave you with some Decepticon from, from Dead and Five. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Goodbye.